Where's Jasmine Wise? Where's she? Quit hiding behind the pillow, Jasmine Wise. Come on, everybody wave at Jasmine. In town for the holidays. We sure love you. You're awesome. Hey, can we pray? Let's pray. Jesus, we continue just to declare that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. That salvation only comes through you. But you have once and for all provided for everyone's salvation. So God, I pray first of all, if there's anyone in this room, Jesus, that has not met you, and as the Word of God says, that, that if we believe in our heart, if we confess with our mouth that you are the Son of God, that will be saved, Lord. I pray if there's anyone in here that has not had that revelation, that experience, Lord, that they would have it today. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. I pray that you would anoint my words. God, anoint our ears and our hearts to receive. And God, that we'd walk out of here not just a little bit more, but much more free than the way we entered. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite your presence. Jesus' name, amen. Hey man, I just want to start with a couple of questions. In fact, I'm going to ask you just to, again, if you would mind bowing your head and closing your eyes for a moment, I really want us to just to allow the Lord to begin to stir up some things and so that he can heal some things. Um, first of all, I want you to think for just a moment. If there's any promises from the Lord that you feel like you're still waiting on. Like the Lord just wants us to identify what those are, those, those specific promises this morning. Secondly, the question I have is maybe due to that promise, maybe due to some other circumstance, maybe to the delay of that promise, does anyone feel forgotten? The Lord wants you to leave here known today. He doesn't want you to feel forgotten. He wants you to feel known. Known and acknowledged that He sees you. Even when you know, humanity, family, people, we're, we're flawed, but God's not flawed. And he sees you. He sees you where you're at. And he sees you when you feel forgotten. And he wants you to know this morning that you're not. Not for one second has he ever forgotten you. You're on his mind. And he loves you. Lord, we bless you. Come and move in our hearts and our lives this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. So a few weeks ago, we had a volunteer appreciation banquet here, and, and, I, and I talked a little bit about this portion of Scripture. Um, but my thought has been this, is that we're here at Christmas, and I was thinking, you know, what, what is the Christmas message that the Lord wants to give us? And so today, we're going to read about the, the birth of... Uh, of John the Baptist, and next week we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. And I just feel like, I've just been meditating and studying this for about a month now, and I just feel like it's, it's so deep, there's so much that the Lord 
wants to show us. So we talked about it briefly a few weeks ago, but we're going to go into a little bit deeper today. So we're going to start reading through it. I'll read a few verses at a time, and we'll stop and talk about them, okay? So Luke chapter 1, I want you to read along with me. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, so we have Herod the Great, this, this king, this guy that, that wanted to kill Jesus, right? In fact, Herod wanted to kill anybody, uh, killed uh, his wife, killed his son, anybody that was a threat to his throne. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. So here starts the story of John the Baptist's father. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. So I want to stop there for just a minute and just so that we understand these priestly divisions. Back when David was king and, and he was getting ready to, to build the temple, he divide, we have all these priests, right? And he wants to divide them up into divisions because I, by this time there's just so many priests, not everyone gets to do anything. So he divides the priests up into these different divisions and two weeks out of the year, uh, your division would get called, and, and Abijah was the eighth in line, your division would get called for two weeks out of the year, and wherever you lived, you would come to Jerusalem, and for those two weeks, you got to serve. But it's believed that by the time Abijah comes around, his division itself is, 20, is, is over 20,000 men. And so if you can imagine, you're waiting all year long to be a priest, like you're, you're called by God to be a priest, you're waiting all year for it, and finally, the two weeks out of the year, you get to go to Jerusalem, and Zechariah is one of these priests, and, and you get to go there, but there's 20,000 of you, and there's not that much to do. And so you're kind of waiting around, and in fact, we're going to see what he gets called to do or select to do in a minute. This was a, if this, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So it says, his wife, let me back and read again. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, so his wife is also from the priestly line. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God. I want to stop there for just a moment. You know, a lot of times we're, we're going through life and we feel like we're really following Jesus, we're pursuing Him, but have you ever felt like you're, you're, you're really doing all the right things, but it still doesn't feel like it's coming together? Have you ever been in that season? Right? Hey, I feel like I'm following you, but it just doesn't seem to be coming together. It says both of them were righteous. In the sight of God. And this is righteous before Jesus, right? Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And so I could sum that part for us and that they, the Word of God mattered to them. They were in the Word of God and they followed the Word of God. Verse 7, But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So the, the term very old here, to use this term when it was written, would imply that they were either in their late 60s or 70s. So they're very old, and they weren't able to have a kid. And so not only maybe in our culture where that would be difficult, but as, as a Jewish family, as a Jewish man, this was everything. But not just a Jewish man, but a Jewish priest. He doesn't have anyone to impart this great, this lineage, this great thing, this great calling. He was, he was a descendant of Aaron, right? And, and he doesn't have anyone to impart, no son to impart this to. And so I believe personally that it would be, it'd be very easy to believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth felt forgotten. They felt like, man, God, we've served you faithfully. Even God says, you've served me blamelessly. But the dreams and the desires, the promises that are in your heart, you haven't seen them fulfilled. And, and now they're most likely in their 70s. Verse 8. But once when Zechariah's division was on duty, so these two weeks out of the year, he's on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot 
according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now guys, this is huge. This is a moment, if we can, this is a moment that a priest waits for his entire life. The only, the only greater thing that could possibly happen to any Jew would be to be, get to be the high priest and on the Day of Atonement go into the Holy of Holies. But apart from that, this is the biggest moment for any Jewish man, anything he could ever experience. So sitting there, and it says he's chosen by lot, so this was their way of getting guided before Holy Spirit, right? Before Holy Spirit came on the, on the day of Pentecost, even the, the apostles, they cast lots. This was things written on sticks or rocks, and they would, they, would, they would throw them kind of like dice, and they would interpret them. And how they interpreted them would be like, this is how the Lord is going to speak to us. So they, they throw these lots, they cast these lots, and man, Zechariah in his 70s, this most likely has never happened to him in his life because the chances are just, just too high that it couldn't. He has chosen to get to go into the temple and burn incense before the Lord. I mean, so this is, for him, period, the closest he could ever get to the presence of God. Because for a Jew, right, this is where the presence was. And the Holy Spirit wasn't filling them yet. This was He is getting to go into the presence of God. And so if you can imagine, you know, he gets, I don't know how many days this happened or if it happened that moment or whatever, but, man, the anticipation I mean, asking everybody else that's ever gotten to do it, hey, man, what was it like when you went in there? What happened? And, and, and here's the deal. He's supposed to go in there and pray. That's his job, really. He's supposed to burn incense, which represents prayer, and he burns incense, and he's supposed to pray. And so you're going to get to be as close as you've ever been to the presence of God. Man, what are you going to pray about? I mean, I'm going to be thinking. I'm going to be talking, man, what do I want, right? What do I want to see God do? What are the promises in my heart? What are the things that God has for me? Verse 10, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So what happened at this point was three priests would have been chosen. They would walk together. His position would have been in the middle, and they walk together. They go up into the, the temple of God. They're not in the Holy of Holies, but they're in the Holy Sanctuary, right? The, the curtain's still there. On the other side of the curtain is the Holy of Holies, the, the literal manifest presence of God but they're on this side of the curtain and, and the three guys walk in there and the first priest goes up and he gets the charcoal ready and everything ready the other priest comes in he gets the incense ready and then they leave he's the only one in there he's in there in the presence of God and he's supposed to light the incense and cry out to the Lord on behalf of Israel but I believe also on his what we see in scripture also on his own behalf verse 11 then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. You know, what was he thinking? You know, he's finally, he's in there, and he's like, why didn't anybody tell me this happens? You know, here's this angel. Nobody's said anything about this. There's an angel, and he goes on to say that the angel's like, hey, don't, don't be scared. So th this, is, this is Gabriel, right? And so he's, he's not just like, you know, he's not, a, he's not a little baby with wings. I mean, this is, an, this is I mean, magnificent, the glory of God on him, an angel standing there. That an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you were to call him John. How in the world do we get ourselves inside 
Zachariah's head at this moment. You know, so he's already had this great big moment. He's, lots were cast. He gets to go into the presence of God. And he's there. An angel comes. He's scared. And the angel addresses him personally. Like, and, and really, the main job of this priest was to go in and pray on behalf of Israel. Right? This is his main job, to go in there and pray on behalf of the nation of Israel. But the angel shows up and says this to him. Your prayers have been heard. Which prayers are you talking about? The prayers that I was just praying for Israel? No, he says, the prayers that you prayed to have a son. Man, this is as personal as it gets, right? I mean, this is God sending an angel to deal with Zechariah in the most inner parts of who he is. The, the, the greatest desire inside of him, God sends an angel in a moment that he's supposed to be serving the nation and talks to him on a personal level and says, man, God sent me to tell you that he sees you. That you are not forgotten. That he's heard every cry and every prayer that you've prayed. And not only that, he's going to answer it. He's going to answer it. It says, verse 14, He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. We're going to keep reading here. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Verse 16, and he will bring back many of the people of Israel to to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. Turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, this quotation that he's going to turn the hearts of the children back, you know, it's, it's a quotation from the very last verses of the Old Testament. It's, it's this prophecy in Malachi. And so God's been silent for a while, and here with Zechariah, he picks up right where he left off in the Old Testament. Zechariah knew this prophecy. I mean, he knew this scripture. I, I believe he knew to, he memorized it. He knew it backwards and forward. So when he said this, it wasn't just, hey, this is a real cool word. Your son's going to be like Elijah. He's like, man, you're, you're moving, God. The Messiah is coming. He knew what it meant. I believe personally because he was a righteous man, because he knew the scriptures, because he was praying not only for himself but for the nation of Israel, I believe that Zechariah was a man who was continually praying for the Messiah. He was praying for Jesus to come. And God is, what God is telling him here, or what the angel is telling him through this, through quoting Malachi, he's telling him this, hey, your son is going to be a guy who ushers in the Messiah. Your, your, your son is going to be a guy that prepares the way for the Messiah to come. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about all the promises that we have and the things that God has told us. And one thing becomes really clear to me. God loves us. Man, He cares about us. He, he has things to speak over us, but sometimes we get a little confused. Sometimes we miss a little bit. But here's one thing I know that Scripture teaches, and I know this teaches us this as well. That the promises that God has over you, the promises that God has over me, are much bigger than you and me. They are about the Messiah. 
They are about the King of Kings. They are about Jesus. And I say that to, to maybe to give this exhortation, first of all, if you have a promise that you're holding on to and you're a Christian and it's not tied to the Messiah, it's not tied to Jesus, it's the wrong promise. You know, I don't know that when Zechariah was praying for his son that he ever imagined that he would be the guy that ushered in Jesus. That prepared the way for Jesus. I don't know if you ever imagined that. But guys, this is the same way that God feels over us. The promises that God has for you are so much bigger than you. They're so much bigger. I mean, God has, if, if you're holding on to some promise and, and you don't see the connection to Jesus, man, you need to find it or you need a new promise. You are great in the sight of God because of Christ. I would say this, your life is great in the sight of, in sight of God because of Christ. God has dreams and promises over your life. But make no mistake about it, they are about His Son, Jesus. And this isn't a bad thing, this is a good thing because the world doesn't revolve around us, it revolves around Jesus. We revolve around Him. Verse 18, and Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Like us, Zechariah looks at his circumstances before he looks at God. And right now, as you're thinking about the promise that God has over your life, if you're like me, you begin to look at the circumstances, and when you look at circumstances, it always seems impossible. Right? Right? But the angels tell me, hey, quit looking at, quit looking at what you see because God said it. I'm 70 years old. My wife's the same age. We can't have a kid. Verse 19. I love that right after he says, man, Gabriel's a cool dude. I mean, he's he's powerful. Like his response to 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 Zachariah's doubting says, the angel says, I am Gabriel. I mean, you're saying, I've been in the presence of God. God said it, and you need to believe it. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Now, you get to come into the temple, but I'm in the real throne room. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. When it seems like he's been forgotten, when it seems like the promise, there's no way it can be fulfilled. I mean, I love that Zechariah is still faithful to God, even though he believes, I believe, that the promise is over. There's no chance. I'm too old. The, promises can't, the promise can't happen. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I, I love this portion of Scripture. First of all, that it tells us even in our doubting, God is going to be faithful. You, you see it, right? Even, even though he doubts, God is still faithful. Man, that's, that puts so much on God. Our doubt, I believe, does not keep the promise. And, and I'm going to back up a minute and talk about who the kind of man Zechariah was. Our doubt does not keep the promises of God from happening, but it does keep us from enjoying it. Because what he said to Zechariah, he says, man, you've got some good news, right? They even use the word, right? Good news. But you don't get to tell anybody. 
<laughs> you don't get to enjoy. I mean, the, the best thing, I mean, imagine. So first of all, the whole nation of Israel is standing outside waiting, waiting for him to come out. They're all out there bowing and praying. He just got to go into the presence of God. Gabriel shows up, tells him, you're going to have a son. Not only are you going to have a son, but your son is going to usher in Jesus. I mean, I would, he wants to go outside. He says, guys, guess what just happened? Guess what just happened? Like Gabriel showed up. The Messiah's coming. Side note, my son <laughs> is the guy that gets to usher him in. But the Messiah's coming. Israel's fixing to be saved. Right? God's fixing to do a, a crazy thing. I believe personally because of the man Zechariah was. You know, maybe I don't believe everybody that comes out and says that, but Zechariah is a guy that I think people are going to believe him. And he's got this good news. He doesn't even get to go out and share it. Man, I love this because, I'll say it again, our doubt doesn't keep God from moving. It doesn't keep Him from fulfilling our promises. But man, it cripples us to enjoy it. That's the difference between faith and doubt, right? Faith, actually, you know, we think faith is so hard and we've got to work it up. Faith is the enjoyment of believing God. Faith is getting to participate in enjoyment. Man, I know you don't see it, but I see it. God's fixing to move. He's fixing to do something. I believe that what He said, and it may look impossible, but God is going to do this. Doubt is, God's going to do it anyway. You just get to be miserable waiting for it. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. I mean, they're used to going through this, this ceremony, right? But he's not coming out. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple where he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I mean, I just kind of picture like, you know, he's at least in his 70s. He's out there trying to say all this stuff and do all like emotions. Nobody knows what in the world is happening. I want to read Habakkuk 2 to to you just quickly. The Lord replied, write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. What's a herald doing? He's sharing the good news, right? He's running, he's shouting, and he's telling, he's declaring it. Even when it looks impossible, a herald is someone that's going before what God has said and declaring it's going to happen. That's the joy of faith. For the revelation awaits on a point in time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. And it will not delay. I praise the Lord. You know, we live, we, we live in an age where God speaks to, hum, to humans, right? The Spirit of God is inside of us. God is not silent. He talks more now than He ever has. What I mean is the Old Testament, He would pick and choose who to talk to, but now He speaks to us. And there is a lot on His heart and on His mind about you. There is a lot on His heart and His mind about you and how your life ushers in the Messiah. How your life brings about the life of 
of Jesus on the earth. You know, referring to John the Baptist, Jesus said, he's a great man, right? There had not been nobody greater. But those in the kingdom of God, right? How's it, I, get, I didn't plan on saying this. How exactly does it go? It's greater than him. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. So what he's referring to is after his death and resurrection, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the, the moving forward. The least in that place is greater than him. The Spirit of God dwelling and living inside of us. The promises and plans of God wanting to be fulfilled. The promises over your life that, that God has spoken to you, that He's given you, that you hold and that you know to be true. Not only do we need to grab onto that they're going to happen, we need to enjoy the ride. We need to enjoy the movement towards them. So what do you do in the waiting? So what do you do when you're waiting for the promise? So just being real for a moment. So we have these promises from God. You have this promise over your life, and maybe it's about your children. Maybe it's about your future. Maybe it's about ministry. Maybe, whatever it is. Maybe it's about healing. Maybe it's about your marriage. You have these promises of God, and you're waiting for them. You're not seeing them fulfilled, and you're discouraged. It doesn't seem like it's happening. What do you do in the meantime? So let's go back to Zechariah's life because I believe he's give, God's giving us a picture, right, of, of what it looks like to be a righteous person and waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. So Zechariah, what it tells us about him, first of all, and it really just tells us a couple of things about his spiritual life. First of all, that he kept all the commands of God, right? In other words, for us, that means he loved the Word of God. Guys, if you're in a shaky place, if you're in a place of doubting, if you're in a place of of, of maybe falling apart, whatever it is. Guys, how do we, how does, how do we stress to one another the, the, the magnitude of, of being in the Word of God? And somebody, what does that look like? Does it mean you get up every day and you spend some time in the Word of God? I say, it looks like, man, you get into it and you soak it up and you meditate on it as much as you possibly can. I, I believe if we go back and look at Zechariah's life as a priest... I believe we'd have seen him. We would have seen him always in the Word of God. You you can't. You know. I believe the reason he was able. What I love about man, he is still remaining faithful to the things God's called him to, even though maybe he's discouraged. Right? Even maybe discouraged me. Maybe the promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. But I'm going to remain faithful to the things that God has called me to. And I believe the, the, what gave him the ability to remain faithful was being in the Word. Secondly, we know that he goes into the presence of God to pray, and the angel says, your prayers have been heard. We know that he was a man of prayer. God is deep, guys, but he really has made it kind of simple for us. These two things, we talk about them a lot, but I, I believe we see them clearly in Zechariah's life. How do we remain strong in the midst of waiting for the promise to be fulfilled? How do, I mean, could we also, I mean, I'd like to look like Zechariah. I'd like to be a guy that's just going to be faithful, keep serving God no matter what comes my way, right? We're just going to be faithful and keep serving and loving the Lord. And what it tells about Zechariah, he was a man that, that was in the Word of God and he was a man of prayer. And for us to think these, these two key components of Christianity, to think that we can avoid those in our life and remain strong 
That's foolishness. I love that I believe God is going to do so much more than we can possibly think in our lives. But don't you, like me, don't you want to remain faithful in the middle of it? Don't you want to enjoy it in the, in the middle of it? And don't you want to see God do more than you could possibly think? God's deep. And, and we, you know what, we, we're real good at the ch- at church by coming up with all kinds of things we need to do, right? But if we just really shrunk it down, God's made it simple. I will strengthen you if you're in my word. I will strengthen you if you pray, if you, if you talk to me, if you, if you share your heart with me, and if you let me share my heart with you. Last portion of Scripture, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably... What does immeasurably mean? It's not a trick question. Can't measure it, right? You can't measure it. To him, who's him? To him who's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's saying here, he says, I've got a revelation. The revelation is God wants to do immeasurably more in your life than you can pray or even imagine. Do we believe the Word of God or do we we believe it? Do we believe that's, that's God's heart over us? I believe that Zachariah and Elizabeth felt. I believe I believe they felt forgotten but what was the truth they weren't God had a plan and it was immeasurably more than they could ever prayed about or imagined God give us a son God that's all we want in life would you give us a son we know they prayed this because Gabriel said it right God would you give us a son and God, next year, would you give us a son? Five years later, God, would you give us a son? Ten years, God, would you give us a son? And doubt begins to creep in and you begin to think, it's just, God doesn't see me, I'm forgotten. And all the time, in heaven, God is saying, man, I've got a plan. I've got a plan, you can't see it yet. Hold on, my plan is immeasurably more than you've ever asked me for. And it's more than you could ever imagine. Not only am I going to give you a son, but he is going to be the one that ushers in my, my son. Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Can you put your circumstance in that? What's, what's your prayer It's comparable to Zechariah. What are you asking God for? You don't see it happening. And if you logically know that God wants to do it, like you know that God wants to do it and you don't see it happening yet, what what is that promise that you have? And can you somehow step back and and get yourself into possibly the throne room of God and hear his voice saying, Man, I'm going to do something much bigger than what you're asking me for. You need to believe me, you need to trust me. 
Not only am I going to do it, I want you to enjoy the process. I don't want you to doubt. I don't want you to fear. I don't want you to be crippled by, by, by feeling forgotten. I want you to enjoy getting there. Guys, the only way we're going to stand to be that is to be in the Word of God and pray. That is what's going to sustain us, teach us, shape us, mold us, turn us into the image of His Son. So if you're tired of doubting, if you're tired of feeling forgotten, if you're, you're tired of worrying about it when and if, could you just go back to being in His presence and trusting Him? So if you indulge me a little bit more, I, I want you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes again. Once again, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come into this house and to this place. We know that you're here inside of us, but to come and, and minister to us. Correct us. Encourage us. Comfort us. every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you this morning, if you've been feeling forgotten and you don't want to feel that way, would you just raise your hand for me? Amen, thank you. couple more things. You know, the, the world would tell us that we need to find ourselves. The Bible would tell us we need to find Jesus. We need to find what He says. We need to find who He is. We need to find His truth. if our prayer team could go ahead and make their way to the back of the room. <clears throat> As I've been preparing for today, I've just had this feeling that God wanted to do so much more than just have me share a message that God wanted to heal that God wanted to change things, that God wanted to give us a new perspective. Specifically, if you have felt forgotten, that breaks the heart. He does, he does not want, I, can't, I would not ever want my daughter to feel forgotten by me. 
And God never wants you to feel that way. He wants to wash that off of you today in His love. I believe He didn't want us just to come and, and, and ponder on a message. I believe that, that He wants to move. He wants to move. He wants to be the one to, to heal you. He wants to be the one to love on you. I'm going to ask that we could all stand for a moment. This morning, if you are feeling forgotten and you're having a hard time just getting that washed off of you, you just you, you don't feel like you can overcome it or you feel like, man, you just need someone to pray for you, I, I really want to give you two options. First of all, I want to encourage you to go find one of our prayer team members in the back of the room. And secondly, if you feel like, hey, that's just right now, I don't feel like that's what I need to do. I, I feel like just a minute ago the, the Lord said, open up the altar, open up the stage for prayer. And if you feel like it's just something between you and God, and God, I just want to come, I want to hear your voice, I want to encourage you to do that. I want you to come, bow before Him, and I want you to listen. Ask Him some questions. God, I feel forgotten, but what is the truth? God, I feel forgotten, but, but what do you say? God, the promise seems so far off, but can I still hold on to it? And then listen for His voice. God wants to speak. And so two things. First of all, I encourage you to go to someone in the back for prayer. But if you feel like, man, I just need to do something but just between me and God, I want to invite you to come down to the stage like an altar, bow before Him, and just listen to His voice. So Father God, would You come and love on Your children and bring healing through Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Guys, if that's You, I invite you to move. God wants to do more than just have us hear a message today. He wants to heal us. He wants to heal us. If that's you, just invite you to move.
I read this verse yesterday, and I just wanted to say it again this morning. Um, you know, the fo- most famous verse in, in all the world in Scripture that, that people who, who don't know Jesus, don't know anything about Jesus, know this verse. It's John 3.16. It's for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reason that's the most famous verse because I think it just sums up the heart and love and the whole story of God, right? God so loves you that He gave His Son for you that you could have eternal life, that you could be saved, that you wouldn't have to pay the consequences for your sin. We're all imperfect coming before God. And we all have to make a payment for the unrighteousness or the sin that we've committed. And the only payment that works is to say, I believe in the Son of God. I believe in Jesus and His death on the cross. I believe in that. I want that to pay the price for my sins. I want that great sacrifice to be the thing that pays my penalty. God just asks that you believe that and that you confess it. I want to say if there's anyone in this room this morning that has never done that, if you've like, hey, I've never believed that. I've never confessed it. I've never... I, I think it's true, but I've just never taken that step. I want to invite you to come find me. Just I'll be down. Come tell me. Come talk to me. If you've got questions, I'll try to answer them. But don't leave here today without knowing Jesus and His love for you. God loves you so much that He sent His Son to pay the price for your sin. Come find me. If that's you, if you've never prayed that, if you've never, never confessed that, to invite you to come.
Father God, as we get ready to leave this morning, I just want to speak a blessing. Just God, a grace over everyone in this room, a grace over everyone's life for a prayer and for the Word. God, as we start this new year, there would be a new a re, a re, um, revival of hunger and thirst for prayer, for Your presence, and for the Word of God. God, also, God, we break off the lie that, that people believe that they can't understand the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, You illuminate it, You light, You, you bring it in, in front of us, and You make it clear. And that's